Have you ever had someone refer to something going on in the community who asked you, what's going on there? What's the story with all that? The right answer lies with the people directly involved in it, the people who know. Why not hear their story? So welcome to What's the Story, Pekin? I'm Gary Gillis, your host, and I hope you enjoy this Pekin podcast. Well, our guest today is a returning guest, Tiffany White, the executive director of the uh, Dirksen Center, and I invited her here because I know she has some exciting news. So, Tiffany, welcome. Thank you. And let's hear about it. What's the story? Well, the most recent news from the Dirksen Congressional Center is that we are about to add three new collections to um, our existing catalog of collections. Um, Before I tell you what those are, let me refresh uh, the memory of your audience to let them know about what collections we already have. Um, Of course, we have the Congressional Papers collections of Uh, Everett Dirksen, who was a member of the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate, and he served as the Senate's minority leader for the last 10 years of his career. Uh, Dirksen is a Pekin native, and the institution is named after him. We have the collection of a lesser-known member from Pekin named Harold Veldy, who uh, served for a little under a decade in Congress, and uh, his most significant contribution to the office was his service on the House Un-American Activities Mm. Committee. Uh, He was succeeded in that seat, not on the committee, but in the congressional seat by uh, an aide to him by the name of Bob Michael, who most people are familiar with. Uh, Bob served for about four decades in Congress and um, towards the end of his term was the House Minority Leader. We have his Congressional Papers collections. And then we also have the collection of Ray LaHood from both his time in Congress and also um, from some of his time uh, as the U.S. Secretary of Transportation under the Obama administration. And it's worth noting that all of these members represented the same congressional district in Illinois, which includes the Pekin Peoria area. Uh, it has long been known as the 18th congressional district. However, mm-hmm. um, your listeners may also be aware of the fact that after this uh, most recent census, Illinois lost a congressional right. seat. So um, there can no longer be an 18th congressional district because we now have only 17 congressional seats and so what was once the 18th congressional district is now the 16th congressional district interestingly enough it was the 16th at the time that Dirksen um, represented it Um, but in just the past six months something fairly unique happened uh, Illinois had a major shakeup in its congressional delegation due to redistricting, to mm-hmm. retirements, and to lost elections. And as a result, Sherry Bustos, Rodney Davis, and Adam Kinzinger are no longer members of that Illinois delegation. And the Dirksen Center is proud to be able to say that it has successfully uh, lobbied for the acquisition of all three of those congressional papers collections, uh, and they will be added to what feels like a very quickly growing list. It brings to mind right away, do you have the space for that? It's a great accomplishment, but the first thought is, wow, that's going to be a lot of paper. Well, I would be lying to you if I said that I didn't initially worry about that as well. And uh, we, we had the option to maybe hit the pause button 
but we decided to move forward and just trust that whatever came our way, we were going to accommodate it. And interestingly enough, what we learned in um, doing an initial review of the collection along with uh, the respective staff members of uh, these members of Congress was that um, the vast majority of their collections are um, in what we call a born digital format, mm-hmm. um, which is very different from uh, even the time that I was a congressional staffer uh, about 10 years ago, where most of our documents were still in a paper form. So we're really not acquiring um, many boxes with these um three congressional papers collections instead we're getting hard drives with Mm -hmm. uh, digital files on them Um, we do already have at the center um, the physical materials uh, including documents and memorabilia that we're going to acquire Um, the the hard drives are are forthcoming they will be um, escorted by staff members personally who are making their way back from dc to illinois and so we're anxious to uh to get those and see what that looks like but um in short we have more than enough space to acquire Mm -hmm. um, these congressional papers collections and so we're just gonna uh keep on growing beyond that with confidence sure well Today, it seems in the news, government papers are kind of like a f- almost four-letter word. Um, it's, uh, of course, something that's been uh, become highly controversial. So uh, my first thought would be, or question really is, is there a vetting process for those papers? I mean, before they leave, have they gone through those to see, especially if there's sensitive data or even personal information they don't want to see released to a format that anyone researching can can find and i simply say that because of the the trump biden uh issue right now with uh, presidential or classified papers that may be out there that no one really knew about previously that's such a great uh question and it's one that uh we don't think about as much um and to begin unpacking this for your audience let me first articulate a distinction that um what you're hearing about in the news deals with presidential papers collections and um due to the presidential records act those essentially belong to the government even mm-hmm. after a president leaves office and um, the National Archives and Records Administration governs those documents. Um, it's also known as NARA. Um, if you see that acronym uh, in some of the stories about these issues. Uh, and so that is very different from congressional papers collections, which actually belong to the member. Okay. Um, so this means that a member can take all of the documents that they accumulate uh, as a function of their time in office, wow. and they can take them home with them and put them in their basement if they want to. Now, I do think that most members uh, probably... Um, take a look at what's in those collections, especially now. Especially yeah. now, yeah. Um, but uh, but certainly they they get to take those papers with them when they decide to enter into a partnership with a repository like ours. Um, they do take some time to look through 
what it is that they're handing over um, for even academic research purposes. Sure. And yes, I do think that they um, either remove some of the personal documentation if they discover that they are still holding on to classified documents. I imagine that many of them do their due diligence to return mm -hmm. them somewhere or destroy them. Um, but in the event that such documentation makes its way to us, um, whoever is the lead archivist on the project um, has resources available to them at the national level to reach out and say, hey, we, we came across this document. Um, should we return it somewhere? Um, and depending on the nature of the document, um, it would get returned or it might just stay intact with the collection, but it would be closed sure. indefinitely or, or permanently sealed. Mm -hmm. um, and that's part of the benefit of um, utilizing an organization like ours, because we're always going to adhere to um, the highest professional standards um, mm -hmm. that apply to these situations. But the other thing, too, is that um, we we craft with each member a deed of gift that um, puts certain guardrails up, mostly at the discretion of the member, where they will go through portions of their collections and say, okay, uh, this series needs to be closed for 25 years or 10 years or five years, or maybe it needs to be closed indefinitely. Okay. Um, sometimes portions of the collection are closed until the member and their families are deceased. Mm -hmm. um, but again, that is all dependent upon the individual member and the nature of the documents and their collections. And sometimes um, it's these decisions are made with consideration of what is coming next for them. Um, some of these members may still have another public career um, ahead of them, and so they need to be conscientious sure, about what gets disclosed and um, what will be available to academic researchers and sure. when. In other words, what could possibly be used against them in the future as well. <laughs> yes, in other words, yes. Well, last month I, I shared with you, maybe it was last month, maybe November, I was reading the uh, John Meacham biography of civil rights uh, activist, the late uh, John Lewis. It's a great, great read, a great book. But I got excited when I got to the page that had a reference to Senator Dirksen's role in the Civil Rights Act of 1964. I know we've talked about it, you talked about it in our last podcast. But uh, you mentioned in reply that you think uh, Meacham reached out to the Dirksen Center or obtained his information or deep background on the senator's involvement through contact with the Dirksen Center. And so it brought to mind, what's the typical process of that? You know, the the younger me, way back in the paper days, where you, you imagined some author coming to Pekin and, and checking out you know, a room and s sitting at a cubicle mm -hmm. to Dirksen Center and with, you know, two-foot tall stack of papers it's got to be different how would an author use utilize the resources of the center today yeah absolutely well the first step would be to uh, review um, what's sort of like a, a catalog a research mm -hmm. guide and those research guides um, will walk uh, a researcher through uh, everything that's in a collection and after reviewing that they will 
let us know what portions of the collection they want to access and then we will um, retrieve those portions of the collection and uh, if they're coming to visit in person then um, you know we bring them out um, one box at a time mm-hmm. so it's a process I think different than what most people imagine where you go to a library and um, you just have access to sure. all of the documentation at your discretion um, that's not the case in um, in our institution and I think most institutions of this kind um, we really protect those papers mm-hmm. and um, the researchers have to review them sort of in an open area where um, you know nothing is going to be able to be either removed from the collection or added to the collection. Uh, I'm not sure that we've ever had uh, a concern like that at the Dirksen Center, but other places have. And so, um, you know, we always want to um, exercise uh, some of the strictest rules while also making sure that we are facilitating Mm -hmm. um, the research. You mentioned John Meacham, and I'm not certain to what degree, if any, he accessed primary source documents from the Dirksen Congressional Center. Um, But I'll give you an example of an author who did do quite a bit of research at the center for uh, a publication um, that came out about 10 years ago for the 50th anniversary of the Civil Rights Act. And that's Todd Purdom's um, An Idea Whose Time Has Come. And um, that is um, a line that he uh, took from sure. from Dirksen in his narrative about the Civil Rights Act, and uh, it's a great, great book uh, that really dives deep into um, the civil rights issues of the 1950s and the 1960s that culminated in the passing of the mm-hmm. Civil Rights Act of 1964. Um, and I think one of the things that makes it so good is that um, it was published 50 years after uh, that date. And um, you know, we're, we're still learning sure. so much about things that happened 50 and 60 years ago. And when you have the benefit of that much time passing, um, it increases and enhances the information that um, can be collected and consolidated. And um, it just gives a really uh, acute perspective mm-hmm. to an issue that you know, we can't understand issues like this in the time that they're occurring. Sure. We have to have the benefit of time yep. passing. Mm-hmm. Well, I've always, I've just been amazed in recent years that you would think that everything that could be known about Abraham Lincoln, for example, would have been known for decades. So who can, you know, do anything other than a reprint of something, but maybe with the Freedom of Information Act uh, and, and the ability now for deeper dives and a part of these authors there's books well Meacham's new book came out that I've ordered and it's one of the coolest looking books I've ever seen Um, I think it's uh, titled and then there was light it's about Abraham Lincoln but a little different perspective Uh, I think it's great that we that we get those things and it's because of the Dirksen Center that information like that is uh, is available Um, one one last thing Uh, previous podcast guest was Amy McCoy who's taking the lead on what I refer to as the Pekin uh, Bicentennial Commission. And yes. you were in the room, so was I. And I, and I know the f- one of the first ideas came up that came up was yours because you shared the, the senator's uh, role in the celebration of the P- 
Pekin Centennial in 1924 and why that was a significant life-changing event in his life. And if you can briefly share that with a spoiler alert, because I think we'll see some celebration next year, so I don't want to really have you give it away, but uh, maybe a a brief uh, reference to that story. Sure. Well, the story is that uh, Everett Dirksen met his wife, Luella, participating in the Pekin Centennial in 1924, and they met because um, as a part of that celebration, there was a community play called A Thousand Years Ago, and it took place in um, ancient China. And, um, you know, it was a nod to the relationship between Peking, China, and mm-hmm. the city of Pekin, and uh, Dirksen and uh, his wife Luella played lead opposing roles in that production, and um, you know the rest is history from there. And Luella was such an important part of Everett's life. Um, I really don't think that he would have been as successful as he was um, in his role as a legislator if he didn't have such a strong um, partner in Luella Carver Dirksen. Mm -hmm. And so I just think it's incredible that a seed so significant was planted in um, a similar celebration a hundred years ago. And I think that uh, stories like this get our committee thinking about the seeds that we can plant sure. for the future of Pekin and um, all of the good things that might come from that. Well, I know when you brought that up, uh, the group that was there that resonated with everybody. So my prediction is you will see something, perhaps a recreation of that play or a play of some kind that points out the significance of that event to the, the senator and Mrs. Dirksen. So yeah, I think the performing be- arts are um, are so powerful, mm-hmm. and um, I just think that they're an appropriate way to uh, commemorate milestones. Sure. And um, I imagine that there will be many opportunities sure. to do that. Yeah, that's great. We're all looking forward to it. It'll be here before you know it yes it will <laughs> yeah well i know you know you've got a daunting task in receiving those papers and i'll share with you some data i i came across uh, okay. and, and it deals with the national archives since we were, were talking about that but i came across these numbers in 2016 the national archives received 20 excuse me 102 million papers reviewed mm. 44 million were declassified and also there are 2116 distinct quote-unquote security class uh, vacations or classification guide so a rule book if you will so hopefully that lessens the the burden you see in front of you knowing that you're not going to be receiving 102 million pages uh, to review so absolutely yeah, so. but if we did we would assemble the resources that that's were required right, right. to yeah. And, to and, process and, them. And uh, you, besides, you've got a great, fantastic board uh, supporting you. Uh, I, I say that uh, bragging a little bit because I have the uh, honor of being a part a part <laughs> of that. But uh, yeah, it, is, it is a great group, and you you know the, the the center does great things, and it's exciting to be a part of something that is you know on the cusp of an, a kind of a new phase, a new historic uh, part of Dirksen Center's great legacy. Yeah, well, Dirksen himself said that um, all of life is about growth or decay, sure. and um, 
we are collectively choosing growth. And what I think is so incredible about um, where we stand today and what we have before us is that it is just so far beyond what even the Dirksen family and their supporters could have imagined that this institution could be when they had the idea for a congressional research center um, back in the early 60s before um, Dirksen even passed away. And, um, you know, as I think about the seeds that have been planted and the seeds that are yet to be planted, the Dirksen Center is among one of the institutions that I think Pekin can be uniquely proud of, not just because um, it honors its, um, you know, most beloved son, but this institution is playing a significant role nationwide. And um, how terrific that we get to say that it's here in our hometown. Well, you had pointed out in another broadcast recently that most of your counterparts, if you will, are mm-hmm. usually affiliated with universities, if not exclusively so. Yes. And that, that the Dirksen Center may be the only, or to your knowledge, the only uh, in the country that is truly independent, which gives you the freedom to do some of the things that uh, the Dirksen Center is doing. Yes, it gives us a great deal of freedom, and it gives the collections a great deal of uh, protection, and I think that members of Congress who uh, elect to uh, deposit their papers at the Dirksen Congressional mm-hmm. Center can be assured that um, we will meet the obligations of the sure. agreement uh, into perpetuity and that we will always make the best of um, all that their collections sure. have to offer. Well, we refer to authors and the use of papers of the Dirksen Center uh, in, in a lot of their writings. My personal prediction, and this will maybe be another podcast in the future, is you know there'll be authors uh, coming out, uh, a plethora of authors coming out, writing stories about January 6th. Yes. And I'm more than likely, undoubtedly, uh, Adam Kinziger's papers will be something that will be front and center. So it will be interesting hearing the story of how many people involved in that process will be utilizing the resources the Dirksen Center now is entrusted with. I think that's great. Yeah, there's certainly an elevated interest in uh, his career because of what happened at the very end of it. But um, I would also remind you that uh, all three of these members um, were there on Mm -hmm, January 6th. And what I'm so excited about in acquiring these three collections simultaneously um, is that they are... They add to sort of um, an existing class of members. What I didn't mention is that um, we have a a deed of gift agreement um, with uh, sitting Congressman Darren LaHood, who also served with all three of these members. And so at the end of his tenure, uh, we will have four members of Congress, um, three of which are Republicans, one who is a Democrat. Our first uh, collection, Mm -hmm. by the way, of a Democrat member of Congress, um, but they all have very unique perspectives. Um, no two of them are very much alike. And so, you know, put yourself in the shoes of a researcher who wants to really understand um, what happened that day mm-hmm. and the implication that those events had on the institution of Congress. You have not 
one but four different collections um, with information within them to cross-reference all in one institution. And I think it's going to be a real boon for researchers who are wanting to um, better understand uh, the impact that those events had on Congress, and not just with January 6th, but throughout the past decade. Um, all of these members that um, whose papers we're acquiring were elected in 2012, uh, and they served until 2022. Mm-hmm. So that's an entire decade. And at the beginning of it, you had the passage of the Affordable Care Act, which um, I think is probably uh, the most significant and the most controversial piece of legislation to be passed uh, in the past decade. Mm-hmm. Um, you have um, the pandemic. Uh, You have um, Donald Trump's presidency, which really shook up the way that Washington, D.C. operated. Um, And then, of course, you had January 6th as well. So um, it was a tumultuous decade. And I think that there uh, is just a a lot to cover there. And again, um, we don't have to rely on one collection in order to understand um, all that took place. Well, they've been witness to an, an increasing element of polarization in politics, which yes. is really historically unprecedented. It would be interesting now that they can walk away from that political game, if you will, and uh, give some insight and perspective from both experience, but also just as you know, loyal Americans witnessing what's happening and, and how that feels. So, I mean, you've got me ready to pre-order the book already. So we'll have to we'll have to do that. Uh, Tiffany, I want to thank you for being here. Uh, we could make this a three-hour podcast. Uh, you know, both of us as history buffs would be tempted to, to do so, but I appreciate you coming. Uh, we'll have you back because there'll be more information forthcoming as you uh, continue the progress, which I think is stellar and uh, um, we'll be anxious to hear the next set of papers you get. So, so thank you. Yes, thank you. There's uh, a lot to come in the next couple of years, especially, and I'll look forward to keeping your listeners up great. to date with all the great, great. things happening uh, right here out of the heart of Pekin. There you go. Well, I, I appreciate that, and we look forward to it. So again, thank you. Uh, thank you for to you, the listeners, for being part of this podcast. I want to thank Mike Eaton, uh, my sound guy, who's faithfully here, always on time and and ready. Uh, And I want to thank the Pekin Library for this room we've we've used for all the podcasts. And to you, the listener, again, for being part of it. We always welcome your ideas, your thoughts. Uh, Please reach out to us at pekinpodcast at gmail.com or call the Chamber of Commerce at uh, 346-2106 for those ideas. Thank you. Have a great day.